And we're in Mark, and uh, we've preached all the way through chapter 1. This is our second sermon in chapter 2. And what a glorious gospel this is. Amen? I hope you have been encouraged as I have in the preaching of Mark and the reading of Mark. It's a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece as it is written to show Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so when you read the book of Mark, by the time you finish the book, you ought to understand that Jesus is the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. Mark is opening his gospel, quoting this and the fulfillment from the book of Isaiah. Read with me in the beginning of Mark, the beginning of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his pace path straight. So Mark is preaching to us that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, promised by the prophets in the Old Testament. He's quoting From Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then Mark, time after time after time, and I think I've understood Mark to, to give us the Twitter version of the gospel because he's showing us in each of these stories, in each of these quotations, by the words in which he uses, that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. So he's telling us time and time again, the prophet spoke of Christ, that he would do this, that the kingdom of God looks like this, and when Jesus comes, this is who he is, the king who brings salvation with him. In the baptism of Christ in verse 9, it says in those days of Mark chapter 1 verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Again, He's referencing Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The temptation of Christ where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness ends with this idea of wild animals with Jesus. Verse 13, look at what it says. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. What's he saying here? Well, it's directly quoted from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20. 
The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So you see what Mark is doing in referencing us back to the prophets. In showing us Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he declares that the kingdom of heaven is here to repent and believe in the gospel. In verse 15 of Mark chapter 1, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the centerpiece of chapter 1. And it is in reference to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9. Go up. On the mountain, the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. You see, the king has arrived declaring that there is good news and behold, your God has come for salvation. And then he gives this, this, this weird response in verse 17 of, of telling these disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, they're fishermen and he's calling them to follow him. But it's actually from Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain, every hill, and out of every cleft of the rocks. And he's talking about the exile here and so he's saying he's going he's going to send people to find God's people and bring them to himself then the king teaches with authority in verse 22 of chapter 1 of Mark and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority not as the scribes And so Isaiah 61, 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who who are bound. So this is what Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, that he is in fulfillment of Isaiah. So the king comes and he will redeem the earth from its brokenness and sickness, making the lame walk. And so that's what he does. Jesus heals the paralyzed man. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals the sick. He makes the lame walk. In Isaiah 35, verse 4, talking about the kingdom of God, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then Jesus heals the leper, and he makes the unclean clean, as Ezekiel the prophet says in Ezekiel thirty six twenty five. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. 
from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. So I'm just walking through the book of Mark and showing you how the Old Testament is pointing us that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, and that he is the Son of God. And that these stories in Mark are actually pointing us backwards to Isaiah. They're pointing us forwards to the kingdom of God when he returns. And last week we saw God's King, Jesus, the anointed one, having the authority to forgive sins and shows us through the healing of the paralyzed man. Isaiah forty three twenty five. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. It is only God who can forgive sins. And Jesus says, I have the authority to forgive sins. And now we get to look this week at the great physician, the king who comes for sinners. As Jesus will say, that that those who are sick are in need of a physician. Those who are well are not. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed. For our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So this great physician is the king eternal. You see, Mark is preaching to us a gospel in which Jesus was preaching through his actions and his words. The king is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. God's fulfillment of salvation has come. The prophets told us what it would look like, and now it is here. The kingdom of heaven has come down and Jesus has shown his authority to place it on the earth. And we get glimpses of a renewed and restored kingdom. That's why he's healing all of these people. Because we see what the kingdom of God will be like. Why? Because Jesus is coming again to take his people with him into his kingdom. What a friend we have in Jesus. This Jesus comes for sinners on this earth and declares that sinners can now enter in to the kingdom of God. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 verse 13 and we'll talk about it here. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And he was teaching them. I'm sorry, yes, we stand up here. I get excited about preaching here. So 
Yeah. And he was teaching them. What was he teaching? What we just told you about Isaiah and the prophets and all the things that Mark shows us in his word about the Old Testament. He was again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them and he was passed by. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for the truth of the scriptures. And may it, Father, transform our life. May we have faith that Christ is the Son of God. By hearing the word. By seeing that it was prophesied about 500 years before he came to the earth. That God, that you are true and that your word is true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Back in grade school, you have a place called the blacktop. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe the basketball court. Sometimes it's the football field. But you usually pick your team. Often in the blacktop in grade school, you know, you have um, the best two players would usually be the captains, right? And, um, and they would pick their players on who they chose to be on their team. And believe it or not, uh, growing up, I wasn't the tallest kid. I didn't actually grow until sophomore year of high school. I grew like four or five inches sophomore year of high school. So I wasn't always one of the ones picked first. But as the selection came, came, kept going and, and the captains would choose you and then the next guy would say you and I'll choose you and they chose their friend and then they chose their best player and then they chose and then you get down and what you don't want to be is the last person picked right because the last person picked you kind of have a little chip on your shoulder going man I was the last person picked I better not let my team down You see, Jesus chose who many would have chosen as the last person to be one of his 12 disciples. Matthew is his name. In Mark, Mark uses the term Levi. But Matthew is a a tax collector. He's looked upon by many as one of the worst people during this time. You see, tax collectors were known throughout the world as an enemy of God's people. 
a greedy, self-centered person who many would have assumed sold his soul to King Herod for his wealth, his money. You see, tax collectors would join forces with the Roman Empire and their ruler, Herod Antipas, at this time, and they would extract money from God's people, not only for themselves, but for Herod and the Roman Empire. They set themselves up to be against God, against his people, and that's how the people viewed them. Think Robin Hood type extraction of money, okay? An exorbitant amount of money that they extracted. And it says here that Matthew or Levi worked near the Sea of Galilee. Now it's interesting because Jesus in the chapter before calls his first disciples that are fishermen at the Sea of Galilee. So Peter and Andrew and James and John probably knew Matthew. And here's why. Because Matthew was a tax collector who was at a booth near the Sea of Galilee. And he probably took their tax money from them for their fishing industry. That'll be $1 per fish, Peter. You pull out of the lake today. Peter says, what? Yesterday, it was 50 cents. How can this be? Well, I just decided that the tax rate increased. I had some bills I needed to pay. How great is it, though, that the 12 disciples represent the church, the people who may have even been hating one another before they come together for the sake of the gospel. Incredible. Tax collectors were considered unclean. They were barred from attending the synagogue, prohibited from testifying in the Jewish courts. They were considered robbers. They were considered liars. They were considered swindlers. They were essentially, in more modern times, the mafia, the cartel, etc. And this is whom Jesus chose to say, come follow me. It's a scandal of grace. It is. What a picture for us of this great gospel that God saves sinners. And we may always be reminded that in the kingdom of God, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That God calls people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's look at verse 13. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Man, this is incredible. This is an incredible picture. This is our first point this morning. The king calls sinners from where they are to follow him. The king calls sinners from exactly where they are to follow him. He he doesn't expect sinners to stay where they are. But he does call them from where they are to get up 
and follow him. You see, Jesus is having to go outside the house so that the masses can hear his teaching, right? Remember the the man who was paralyzed is coming through the roof because they can't even get in to hear the teaching about the kingdom of God. And he comes by the tax booth of a fellow named Levi. Levi is a Jewish name, but his name at some point becomes Matthew. The text or the gospels don't tell us how it becomes Matthew. Maybe it has been changed. Why? Because Matthew actually means the gift of God. So the man who was a thief and used, is used to stealing from others receives a gift from God and now is a gift of God to others as he proclaims the word to others. He'll be the one that will write the gospel of Matthew, a gift of God. Someone who was a thief and took from others is now giving to others the gift of God because he himself has been given the grace of God. What a picture. Essentially, Matthew is in his booth and the account says in Luke, Luke chapter 5 verse 20 thing, 28, and leaving everything. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Peter and James and John, they left their nets, they left their daddy's business, and they went and followed Jesus. Matthew, when he leaves the booth, he can't go back. Peter and James and John, they can go back. Their daddy's business, they can become fishermen. They actually do go back. After the resurrection. But Matthew. He can't go back. He leaves all the money on the table. He can't go back to his job. You see more sharks are waiting in the wings for his position of tax collector. You know this story is the complete opposite of the rich young ruler. Jesus calls Matthew and he leaves it all. He has found his treasure in Christ alone. This is all shocking, isn't it? It's all shocking. Jesus would not only call a tax collector, but then that tax collector who has a ton of money would leave everything and follow Jesus and then he would write the first gospel. The call of the gospel is not go clean yourself up first and then follow me. It is Jesus is here. He is saying get up from your booth and your sin and follow me. You see, Jesus uses this example over and over and over again between the tax collectors and the Pharisees. Multiple times in showing who is the one who comes to Christ and is justified before God. And over and over again, he says it's the sinner who recognizes his sin. Look at Luke 18, 10, 
It says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. We've broken down what a tax collector looked like in this day and age. He was an outcast. He was against God. He was an enemy of God's people. He was, he was not even allowed in the synagogue. He was considered unclean. You couldn't even touch him. And then the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, the guy who asked God for mercy and claims to be a sinner, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The kingdom of heaven works and operates like this. The person who recognizes he is a sinner in need of a savior, he is the one who is justified before a holy God. To those who are stooped in sin in this room, you may feel you are so far away from the Lord and yet he still calls you. He calls you by name. He says, come, follow me. Whatever situation you find yourself in, he's saying, call upon the name of the Lord. Get up from your situation and follow Christ. Jesus says, I am all that you need. This is the church. The people who have been called out. That's what ecclesia, the Greek word means. Called out once. You who were once adulterers. You who were once greedy. You who were once self-centered. You who were once addicts. You who were once idolaters. You who were once liars. You who were once thieves. Who God said, come. Now you come. You follow Christ. You see, the church is made up of sinners who have been redeemed. Some people think that the church is is made up of righteous people. It's not. It's made up of sinners who have been cleansed by the power of Christ who said, I need Jesus. Another instance with the tax collector, the famous story of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And he climbs up the tree because he's so short to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus sees him in the tree and he says what? I'm coming to your house today, tax collector, chief tax collector. I'm coming to your house. And guess what they would do when they went to someone's house? When someone had a guest in their home, what would they do? They would sit around and talk. 
We, we would say, we sit around the table and we would talk. They would eat food. You see, the, the, the guests would come to their home and they would provide them with food and drink and they would sit around the table. They would break bread. And this is what Jesus does. He goes to sinners' homes, and what does he do? He eats with them. He sits around the table with them as friends. Verse 15, and as he reclined at the table in his house, it's Matthew's home here, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Good question. Not really, but good try. This is point number two. The king wants to sit at the table with sinners. The king wants to sit at the table with sinners, outcasts, broken people. There's so much here, right? Jesus sits at the table with the tax collectors and all who were involved in the tax collecting business. They're thugs, they're prostitutes, they're other liars, Whoever else, he was sitting with them. And it says many followed him. Many who followed him. So Isaiah 25, again, going back to the Old Testament. This is what it says. It's beautiful. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of morrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. How beautiful is that? Oh, what a feast it will be. To sit and eat at the king's table of the mountain of the Lord. You see, it's a great celebration of God's glorious, redemptive salvation and his work for his people. And the picture here is that Matthew, when he gives it up, all of it up, to follow Jesus, he has a huge party at his house in celebration. And Jesus is invited. To his party. You know that there will be a glorious celebration in heaven. It's called in Revelation the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
In Revelation 19.9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You see, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb is this great extravagant party. And those that are invited to sit and eat with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the banquet is set for those who want to sit at the table with the King in heaven in all of glory. Luke 14, 15, Jesus talks about this. And who will come into the kingdom? Who will sit at the table at this banquet? When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets. And lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. That's the tax collector. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. It's a shocking reminder that Jesus has set the table and invited us to be with him for all eternity. Just think about that for a minute. One day we will sit at the table with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're looking back to what Christ has done in, in, in setting the table or bringing us to be able to come to the table while his body was broken for us, his blood shed for us. And we're look forward to his coming again as we will partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be in the kingdom of God. We will be forever in eternity. This is why the Lord's Supper is important for the church today. Because we are reminded we are at the table and we're reminded that we will be at the table for all eternity because he's coming again and he will set up his kingdom. We are in fellowship with the king. He calls you to the feast. These tax collectors and sinners don't understand why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners is the question. And when Jesus heard it, verse 17, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Jesus breaks it down so that the Pharisees can understand exactly what he's saying. Point number three this morning, the king rescues those who know they need to be rescued. The king rescues those who know they need to be rescued. The righteous here, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous. Who are the righteous? The righteous here is the self-righteous. Those who perceive themselves as righteous before a holy God. They say, I am good enough to enter in the kingdom of God. I have done enough good on my own to enter into the kingdom of God. That is preposterous. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We are created in the image of God to reflect the perfection and holiness of God. And when we fall short of that, we miss the standard which is to reflect God's image. Therefore, we all fall short. It doesn't matter how much good we try to do. We are like polluted garments in the sight of a holy God. And we are not righteous. But the Pharisees understood that they did not need Jesus to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the tax collectors, Matthew, he understood, I need Jesus. Psalm 53 and Romans 3 declare, there is not one who is righteous. These Pharisees who act like they are righteous, yet cannot be righteous, need Jesus. So the great physician, the great healer of sinners has come to call those who know that they need rescuing. It is the humble And the contrite spirit in which God will look upon those and save them. What a promise that the God of the universe comes to save those who know they are in need of God's salvation. Who will humble themselves on earth to bow their knee to the king. The Bible tells us every knee will bow but for some it will not It will be too late. They were invited to the banquet. They said, no, I've I've got to take care of these other things. May it not be too late for you. Oh God, 
open our eyes to see people as you see them. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift us up in due time. May we be a church that invites people to the table with us because we have been invited to the table with Jesus. And Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to preach the word of God from Mark. We thank you that you, the king, come for sinners. That you, Father, came for us. Father, help us to be reminded that our sin was paid for on the cross of Christ. And Father, help us to be people who see people that are in need to be invited to the table. And Father, help us to to recognize we are in no way, as the church, the people of God, no way better than other people. But Father, we have just received the call to sit at the table with you, recognizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Help us, Lord, with our pride and our arrogance. Help us to humble ourselves before the creator of heavens and the earth the one who has given salvation and help us, Father, to be people who are cleansed and have a seat at the table. Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning who's questioning their salvation or has never been saved, Father, we pray that you would help them to know that they are saved by calling out to you, calling upon your name, for you are a great God who saves. Father, call their name out and save them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar is open. Our worship team will respond. If you'll stand and sing as we respond to God's word in song, the altar is open for prayer. There are pastors and counselors up front that would be help, happy to pray over you in your needs or anything that you have in your life or counsel with you for the words that were spoken this morning according to the word of God. So let's sing together as a people of God.